Romans 12, verse 1. This week, why don't we read verse 1 and 2 out loud together? That'd be great. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Ready, begin. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Father, thank You for Your Word. And as we continue, Lord, to uh, understand what biblical transformation means, Father, now we ask You to uh, be the counselor and the teacher through the Holy Spirit. We thank you for sending the spirit of truth so that we can not just understand your word, but, but that through the spirit you bring conviction. You point out areas in our life, Lord, uh, that need to be corrected, maybe need to be changed, repented of, uh, all so that we can be transformed more and more into the image of your son. So we thank you for your word and ask you now to uh, speak truth to us and then to bring the application uh, necessary for us to communicate continue to uh, spiritually mature. And all God's people said, Amen. All right. Now flip over to 2 Corinthians, a couple books to your right. Last week, we continued looking at transformation and we've understood over the last several weeks that transformation involves faith. Right? Faith, being all in, what we call around here, being all in for Jesus, not just mentally assenting to things, but actually being 100% dependent on Him. Right? We understood from James that that type of faith will manifest itself in works, fruit, right? Then we saw in Galatians that it's not just leaning on Jesus 100%, and it's not just manifesting works and fruit, but really. An essential ingredient to all of it is faith expressing itself through what? Love. Love. Right? And, and we've really understood, and I think in a very challenging way, all the way back to Valentine's Day, that it's not necessarily us getting busy trying to show God how much we love Him. Right? That's an element of it. But it's really about His love for who? Who? For me. His love for me. Right? A lot of us, again, it's almost simpler, almost easier for, for, whatever, for a variety of reasons to want to get caught up in loving God and doing things out of obedience. You know, all of the things that are good. But how many of us have really, really, and I mean really, paused to grasp, right? We looked at grasping God's love for you. Ah, still a little bit, right? Because we know how unworthy we feel. We know how we blow it. We know our repeated failures. We know all this stuff. And then we have people who, who put all these conditions on us and, and we have all these maybe warped and, and damaged views of love. And suddenly the Bible kids coming to you and saying, hey, there's a real God who really loves you perfectly all the time. There's a real God who really loves you perfectly all the time. You see, we, 
that, that's a tough, that's, that's sort of a tough pill to swallow in a very performancey, conditionally loving society. I'll love you if, I'll love you if, right? If, then, if, then, right? And so, so many of us have grown up really with deep insecurity about being loved. Deep insecurity about just being loved, who you are, being unconditionally appreciated, you know. And, and so maybe some of us really, even as adults, even as Christians, still have this deep hesitation, this deep suspicion that He doesn't really love me. That I can still blow it bad enough for Him to stop loving me. And so rather than walking in, in just power of the Holy Spirit freely in grace and joy, oh, we just have this little bit of doubt, this little bit of insecurity that prevents us from just launching. From just launching. Right? You, 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 maybe you've done it to your kids or you were a kid. You ever been at the side of the pool? Jump! I got you! I got you! Anyone ever? Right? How many of you were ever encouraged to take that leap? And, and what was the fear and hesitation? Are they really going to catch me? Right? Ah! <laughs> you know? Right? You know? What, why were we so afraid? And, and it, you know, maybe a lot of reasons, but what if we had been completely convinced of that person's love for us? Would that have changed that hesitation? Perhaps. You might have still been concerned about what might happen, but what we're talking about is this love which affects our trust which ultimately affects our willingness to launch out, and here's a key word, risk. Risk. Because if we're going to be transformed, if we're going to go from caterpillar to butterfly, here's the thing. It's going to take change. It's going to take faith choices, and that includes risk. But see, what happens is we're raised in a culture where we get a good job, we get a good house, we get a bank account, and what we're trying to do is eliminate all risk. Our society teaches us to work hard and make all these contingency plans to eliminate risk. And so we kind of develop a false sense of security. And along comes Jesus and says, hey, follow me. Where are we going? It's a need-to-know basis. Leave everything. Love me more than all your family members. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And it's going to be risky. Risky? But Lord, I spent a whole lot of years building my kingdom. And I just got to the place of security. Personal peace, affluence, comfort, and, and, and you know, even church. It fits. I got church to fit. And so I have this kingdom, and now you're asking me to follow you in this transformation. That's risky. Why is it risky? Because you don't know how it's 
You don't know the outcome. It's risky on our end. Is it risky on his end? Oh. So if a God who really loves you all the time perfectly and is good all the time asks you to follow him, but there's no risk on his end because everything's known to him, what's the problem? <laughs> Doris, you get out of the boat. I'll watch you, right? Think about that. A lot of times, what is risk? Risk is this venture out into the unknown. But to God, all things are known. There is no risk from His point of view. And so when we are called to, to, to really grasp His love, what's he, what's he really preparing us to do? What does He want us to do? To be willing to obediently follow Him. Because you trust Him. Because you know He loves you. And He is good. All the time. And all the time, He is good. Right? Okay, so from last year to this year, the last six months, we've, we've pretty much solidified biblically that God is good and all the time, which means He wants your good all the time. And now we've solidified that God is love and all the time. Right? So God is good all the time. He's desiring your good and He's loving you all the time. So how will that impact the next time he challenges you to step out in faith? Right? Oh, wait, wait, time out. Okay, Lord, I'm getting anxious. Lord, I'm getting nervous again. Remind me. Oh, you're good. Oh, you desire my good. Oh, you love me. Oh, on your end of things, there is no risk. Right? And that's why it's really, really important to, to not just gloss over that, oh, yeah, God loves me. Oh, yeah, God. No, because when you leave here and then come Monday at work, the truth of His goodness and love are the foundation for the choices we're going to make. For the choices we're going to make at home, at work, with friends, when we're by ourselves, right? And so I wanted to, to as part of our beginning time in the Word, we ended last week with a wonderful song. Many of us would call it a kid's song. But I really have a hard time calling this a kid's song. See, this is where we want to categorize. Oh, yeah, Jesus loves me. Oh, that's a great VBS song. I knew that when I was four or five. Well, you know what? I think Jesus loves me is one of the most profound songs, no matter how long you've been a believer if you will really understand the implications of what it means. So I asked Robert, we're just going to sing Jesus Loves Me, and I really want you to sing it in truth this time. In fact, if you know it, I challenge you, don't look at the words. You know the words. But see, in church, we go right there, because that's our security, the words. i got to read it. No, don't read it. Don't read it. Profess it. Big difference. Don't read it. Profess it. Now, if you don't know it, and I'll be sensitive, some might not, the words will be there. But if you know this song, profess it with the piano. Amen?
Thank you, Robert. I've been singing that song in my car all through Ojai this week. And you know what? It's ministered. It's ministered in the in the craziness of, you know, the election year and the craziness of all the responsibilities of life and the craziness of responsibilities pastorally. I've just been singing that song up and down the main road. Really pondering it. Really trying to understand what it means for Jesus to love me in the implications of all the rest of my life now. Jesus loves me. So why am I so fearful? Jesus loves me. Why am I so angry? Jesus loves me. Why am I so insecure? Jesus loves me. Why am I so hesitant to obey? And it, 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 it's amazing to just, you know, the biblical meditation where you just chew on it over and over, just to allow this, Jesus loves me. You know, and if you look at 2 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul, 5.14, we saw last Sunday, look what he says. He's talking about his motive at the, at the core level. Why does he and his, his, his fellow ministers, why are they doing what they're doing, right? Look at 2 Corinthians 5.14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for Him who died for them and was raised again. And so last week we began looking at this verse and we saw that He's talking about the love of God for us, right? And then He says, he says Christ's love or the love of Christ for us compels us compels us. Now, you see in your notes there, I put the, uh, the Greek word, you know, there's different versions. So it says Christ's love constrains us. Christ's love controls us. Literally, it's to hold together. It's constant pressure, hemmed in on both sides, pressed on every side. Pressure that causes action. It urges you. It impels you, right? There's some examples there I give you where this word is used, right? In one example, it's, it's to be uh, constrained by a sickness, in one of those verses. In another one, it's where people in Acts, they cover their ears and they put pressure on both sides of their ears. Okay, that's the word picture. What he's saying is, hey, I have come to the place in my relationship with God, with Jesus, that His love puts pressure on both sides, constrains me, controls me, urges me on. That's what drives the Apostle Paul. The love of Christ compels him, constrains him. There's a wonderful word picture. Years and years ago, we walked, I was on a a ministry team and we hiked through Death Valley. And and one part of our hike, we went through this ravine. It was about this wide, you know, from that wall to me. And it's one of those where you'll straight up and the rivers come through. You have to be real careful. But we went through there and it was awesome. You're going straight up here and straight up there and you have nowhere to go but forward. That's what he's talking about. In your life, in my life, in Paul's life, the love of God, God's love for him has become so real, the 
the, the truth has become so profound that he is constrained by it. He is in its grip. In its grip. And so people say, hey, Paul, what makes you tick, man? Why do you do what you do? It's the love of Christ. It's the love of Christ. One of the versions uses the word impel. It impels him. And if you're not familiar with that, uh, how many of you know jet skis, right, from back, back in the day? Jet skis, they have this thing on the bottom called an impeller. What does an impeller do? It sucks the water from the front and it shoots it out the back. So he says, it impels me. Christ's love moves me. Think about that. Being impelled, moved, being constrained. Why don't I do certain things? Why don't I make those choices that would please the flesh? Christ's love. Why do I do things that would honor and glorify Him? Christ's love. Are we at that place where we would say, Oh, it's the love of Christ that compels me, that drives me, that, that constrains me. When I'm at a fork in the road and I'm deciding, is it about me? Is it going to please the flesh? Is it going to honor God? I'm going to say yes to the flesh? Am I saying yes to God? At that moment, what, what, what's the tipping point? Is it the love of Christ? Is that is what is compelling you? This morning... When you woke up, what's driving you? What's compelling you as you sit here? For the rest of the day and into the evening, what is going to compel you? What is, what is constraining you? What's the primary motive and purpose and driver right now as you sit here? Finances? Health? What is it that's driving you, what is it that's driving me? And this has been very challenging for me because I'm surrounded by God things as a pastor and, and I have to be very careful that my relationship with God doesn't become all about ministry. And that rather than me growing and following Jesus personally, everything I do is now about pastoring. I read my Bible to get a sermon. I study the Word because I have to preach a sermon. I come Wednesday nights because I have to teach. It would be weird if I didn't show up, right? I mean, all this kind of stuff. And you're thinking, well, is this about, my, is this about a love relationship or is it just because it's my J-O-B? And we have to ask ourselves this question. Are you doing what you're doing out of devotion or duty? Is it devotion or duty? And to answer that question, you probably have to ask yourself, what am I being compelled by? The love of Christ? Fear? What, what, what is it that's compelling you? Even as you woke up this morning to start another day until so you put your head back on the pillow? Paul says it's the... The love of Christ compels him, constrains him, controls him, impels him. Right? That's why, as we saw last Sunday, he could, he could go through all the lashes and being hungry and being imprisoned and all the things that he endured, all the suffering. How many of you have been guilty of doing something pretty crazy because you love somebody? Come on now, how many, just in the worldly sense, how many have endured some things? How many have, right? Right? 
We all know at the human level what it is to do something completely out of character because you loved. We know that at the human level. Now take that to the eternal level. Think of what happens if, the, if you grasped, if I really grasped the love of God. Whew. I have no idea what would happen in this place. Although I believe it would be pretty cool. It would be pretty pretty cool, right? And then he says this. this is, then he has this because, right? So he gives a little bit of explanation. Like it says, for Christ's love compels us. And he says, because we are convinced that one died for all. He's talking about Jesus' atoning sacrifice, right? Romans 3.25, you don't have to turn there. It says, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. 1 John 2, 2. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 4, 10. This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, pretty soon, we're going to be coming up to Good Friday again. Right? And if we're not careful, we tend to slot celebrating and remembering the atoning sacrifice on Good Friday. <laughs> Now, that's why, again, that's why I appreciate uh, our decision to have communion every week here. Because when you have time to really ponder Jesus' atoning sacrifice for you, right? That's, that's the source. That's, that's our, how do I know God loves me? The atoning sacrifice. Even, even when you don't feel lovable, you go back to the atoning sacrifice. Right? And, and then it says this. Look at the next phrase, which can be a bit confusing. It says, We are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. It's really interesting, right? One died for all, and therefore all died. Now, it's really important in, in, in understanding this passage. It's not, he doesn't say one died for all because all were dead. He's not talking about the world in general who has been, according to Ephesians, dead in trespasses and sins. That's not what compels him. That's not, that's not the driving force. Look what it says here. It says, again, we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. It's an event. So, how do we understand this? The Apostle Paul is talking to Christians. He's talking to the church at Corinth. Okay? And what he's saying here is, hey, if you put your faith in Christ, you have died with Him. Turn to Romans 6. We're going to understand this. Romans 6. See, Christ's love became so real to Paul because the identification with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection was so real to Paul. That's what he's talking about here, right? So in 2 Corinthians, it said, one died, therefore all died. Okay, therefore, it means believers. When you put your faith in Christ, you are now identified with his death. You died. Well, what, is it, what implication does that have? Look at Romans 6, starting verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? 
Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You're comfortable and we want to put transformation after that sentence. See, he's saying, hey, Christ's love compels me. And you're like, okay, why? He goes, well, because when I put my faith in Christ, according to Romans 6, I am now identified with his death, burial, and resurrection. You and I, remember I said we're not called to live good and happy? Remember I told you something supernatural happened when you put your faith in Christ? And he's explaining this supernatural truth. He says, when you put your faith in Jesus, you are now identified with his death, burial, and resurrection. Made you smile, huh? Well, what do you mean by that? Well, he says at the end of verse 4 there, so that you can walk, you can live a new life. Not a good and happy life, a godly and holy supernatural life. When it says you can walk in newness of life, it means qualitative. It means you now have a new source. It means the Holy Spirit is in you. How many of us this morning, this morning, woke up and said, Woohoo! Today, I am going to walk in newness of life. Today, I am going to walk qualitatively differently, empowered by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Oh, I've got to go to church. Fifteen more minutes. Oh, man. Why do they do it at nine? Why can't they do it at ten? I could sleep in longer. Maybe I'll lie. <laughs> we'll pray for you, brother. Right? Think about that. He says, hey, what the love of Christ compels me, constrains me, impels me. Why? Because when I put my faith in Him, I have been identified with His death, which means you are no longer a slave to what? Sin. Oh, we're going to talk about that next week. You, if you're a believer in Christ, if you died with Him, which you did, you're no longer a slave to sin. Now, you still might sin, but you don't have to. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's one of, we talked about this years ago, and we're going to come back. Because if we're going to be transformed, we have to believe that truth. Amen? If we're going to be transformed, which means to stop doing some of these sinful things we've been doing, the truth is, you better believe, according to the authority of Scripture, that you can. You can't say the devil made me do it anymore. Because according to Romans 6, you have died to sin, you're set free from slavery to sin, and you can walk in newness of life. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. See, a lot of us, we have this image of, of ourselves pretty much burned in there pretty deep, whether it's from junior high or high school. And then you got to be a young adult, and you kind of just settled. Well, I guess that's just me. You guys see that commercial with DirecTV and kind of like the settlers, right? The settlers, right? How many are familiar, right? There's this, there's this like real country family, and they decide not to go to DirecTV because they're going to be settlers. They're going to settle for cable, right? How many of us, in our, we grew up and we just settled? That's just the way I've always been. That's what everyone told me, my teachers, my parents, my friends. So now I'm an adult and I'm in a box. And I believe in Jesus, but I've got to stay in my box. 
So I'm just going to settle. No, 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 no. Right, Brenda? No. He says, no, you died to sin. You have the indwelling Holy Spirit so you can walk a qualitative, supernatural life. Amen? That's what he's talking about. Now you're getting why Paul was so jazzed on the love of Christ. The love of Christ wasn't just some touchy-feely, oh, he loves me, oh, I feel so good. No, 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 no. The love of Christ had profound truth. The love of Christ meant you and I were identified with his death, burial, and resurrection. So you can wake up any moment of the day and say, wait a sec, time out. I'm a new creation. Wait a sec, I have the Holy Spirit in me. Wait a sec, I'm no longer a slave to sin. So now I choose. How many of you would love to be empowered to choose? Because quite frankly, a lot of us, we just feel like we're stuck. I've always been this way. This is just the way I am. And some of us, it's quite challenging because we have deeply ingrained habits, deeply ingrained thought processes, deeply ingrained reactions. But here's the good news. That's just transformation. That's just transformation. God identifies something in your life, like road rage. And he says, okay, in your process of transformation, let's just deal with road rage for a little bit. And it's weird how suddenly more people start cutting you off. (laughs) Because he's just giving you more opportunity to walk in newness of life. Do you see it now? It's not just necessary hyper-spiritual things. It's road rage. It's language. It's, It's ingrained habits. It's finances. It's unforgiveness. The whole process of God transforming us is in, honestly, just the stuff of life. It's not some hyper-spiritual. It's just the stuff of life. And he says, okay, you died with him. You were buried with him. You rose from the dead. You have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Let's just work on this. That's what he says. And then he says this. Look at verse 15. Second Corinthians, we'll go back to Second Corinthians, I'm sorry. Second Corinthians five fifteen says this And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Wow. Wow. Okay. Here's where the rubber meets the road, guys. We've, you know, pretty much 100% of you said you wanted to be in that transformation metamorphosis process. Look what verse 15. He died for all. We understand what that means. That those who live, that's us, right? We live in Christ. Should no longer live for who? Themselves. But for him who died for them and was raised again. If we were honest... How many of us, and I'm going to be the first one to raise my hand, how many of us tend to live for ourselves by default? Right? Alarm goes off. Think. Hmm. What am I going to do today? What do I want for breakfast? What's my wife going to make me? (laughs) Just kidding. Right? If we're not careful, we start the day pretty much 
Gearing it around who? Us. Us. Right? I mean, let's just get real. But what does verse 15 say? We should live no longer for themselves, but for Him. Right? What radical difference would it make in your life and in my life when you go kink, hit the alarm, you go, Lord, today I just want to live for You. What if that was the first focal point of your morning? What difference would it make? Lord, thank You for another day of life. Today, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, I want to live for You and not for me. What if that was the very first thought and prayer of the day? Would it change things? It would take time, I bet. It would. It would. Because if you're like me, you know, I've shared my bad habit of I, I roll over and I check my emails and my messages and then the world news. And it's still a challenge for me not to do that every morning. It's still, God's still working on me to go to His Word first and to say thank you for the day first before I check what happened in the world while I was asleep. It's the, it's the real stuff of life. And He says, hey, in light of God's love for you, look at verse 15 again. No longer live for yourself, but for Him who died for you and was raised again. Raised again. It's very similar. Turn to Philippians. Philippians 1.21. Very similar. Paul says the same thing here. Philippians 1.21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. What's he saying? You want to know what makes me tick? Christ. Christ has all of me. Christ has all of me. For me to live the entire the entirety of my whole life. No, I don't have compartments. It's all Christ. Christ is my life. For me to live is Christ. Everything is filtered through Jesus. It's it's just Jesus. That's our desire. That is our heart for us as a congregation. That your life would just be Jesus. Your life would just be Christ. For me to live is Christ. And here's the crazy thing. When you live that way, for me to live is Christ. When your time on earth is done, it's gain. But here's the flip. If it's not Christ, and you've been living for personal peace, affluence, your finances, then suddenly to die is loss. Because you feel like you're losing it all. See? What you living for? Because what you're living for will affect how you view death. If you've been living for Christ all along and He calls you home, woohoo! You got a new body. It's all gain. If you've been living for yourself and the things of the world, well, you're going to look at death as losing it all. Hmm. How have you been viewing that? For me to live is Christ. That's what he says. All the way back to because of His love. So here, fill in the blank. For me, to live is... What is? What's driving you? 
For me to live is financial security. For me to live is a good family. For me to live is good health. For me to live is... You fill it in. (laughs) Right? The stuff of the world. Because here's the thing. They will have a profound impact on the choices you will make the answer to that question. For me, to live is... Paul says Christ. And here's the good news, just just so you don't feel so bad and me. When he said that statement, he had been a believer for a long time. And through the trials and tribulations of his life and through his own transformation and sanctification, he had grown and matured to that place. He had grown and matured to coming to the place of understanding that for me to live is Christ. So if you're there, be encouraged. But if he's challenging you at the core level of what's really been driving you, you're going to have to settle that issue. Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. For you and I, for me to live is, and I'll just let you fill in that blank. It will have a profound impact on the choices you're going to make this week, even the rest of this day. I'm going to close with a uh, poem. Shai, you can bring it down. This is a poem that I like to read at memorials because it gives everyone a chance to kind of pause, especially if there's a lot of uh, non-believers. They can resonate with this. And in light of Paul's statement that to live is Christ and to die is gain. I thought of this poem because truthfully none of us know how much time we have left. You know, and and we've had wonderful discussions with Brother Bill back there and who would have thought going to a Bible study of all places might have been it, right? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain, right? There's a poem called The Dash. He says this, I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of birth and spoke the following date with tears. But he he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time that they spent alive on earth. And now only those who love them know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged. If we could just slow down enough to consider what's true and real and always try to understand the way other people feel and be less quick to anger and show appreciation more, And love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile. Remembering that this special dash might only last a little while. So when your eulogy is being read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about how you spent your dash? To me, to live is Christ to die is gain. What they say about your dash 
is intricately woven to the love of Christ compelling. When they're speaking at your memorial service, will it have been that the love of Christ compelled this person? And out of the love of Christ, this person did this, and this person was so this, and this person was this. You know what? If I could, if I could stand at this memorial, oh, I'd like to give testimony. For them to live was Christ. To die is gain. That would be an incredible, that would be an incredible statement to be made at anybody's memorial. Amen? People to stand up and say, you know what? They were all in for Jesus. For that, this person that we're celebrating, to them to live is Christ. To die is gain. When I was in high school, we had a group of buddies. And whenever our, one of our friends would get a girlfriend, right? You know how it works when, when your friend gets a girlfriend, suddenly stops coming around and calling, wants to, doesn't want to hang out with the boys anymore? You know, we didn't take too kindly to that, so we would always kind of, if it got real to the point where they were like real in this relationship and he never hung out with us anymore, what would we say? That dude's whooped. <laughs> right? Not the nicest thing to say, but, you know, you say, oh, man, that dude's just whooped. What does that mean? He was so in love and so into this relationship that we didn't even matter anymore. All that mattered was he was with her and he didn't want to go pizza. He didn't want to go do anything with the boys anymore. He was just into this love thing. And we would say, dude, you just whooped, man. You know what? I would love to be whooped for Jesus. Wouldn't you love someone to say, oh, Carl, you're just whooped, man. You and Jesus, Jesus got you. You're whooped, bro. Right? Scott, how come you don't want to come do things with us anymore? We used to do this and this and this. Oh, Scott, he's whooped. Jesus whooped him. Right? What a great testimony. Not in a weird, goofy way, but in a cool way. Like, oh, dude, oh, he's whooped. Oh, Dale, Dale doesn't want to go and think Dale's whooped. That Jesus thing. Jesus got a hold of Dale. He's just whooped. That'd be awesome to be whooped for Jesus, to be so in love with Jesus, to be just consumed with Jesus' love for you and just consumed with loving him back out of devotion that people go, dude's whooped. I'd take that. Would you like that? Wouldn't that be really cool? Just to walk around the valley, be known. Oh, man, don't go to OVC if that, that congregation is just whooped. Be careful, don't walk in their doors. You'll be around the whoop people. How many would enjoy that? That's it. We are unashamedly around here whooped for Jesus. That's who we are. That, that's what makes us tick. We loved, I love the Lord. God called me to help people love the Lord. That's kind of what we do. That's who we are. We're whooped for Jesus at OBCF. And we invite this entire community in the world to get whooped with us. Amen? Lord, thank you. Thank you for loving us like you do. And Lord, our, our desire is to grasp your love. And so, like the Apostle Paul, we would be able to say, it's your love that compels us. It's your love that constrains that constrains us. It's your love that controls us. And then to say, like he did in Philippians, oh, to live is Christ. To die is gain. 
Oh, what a wonderful testimony for people to say, oh, those people at OVCF, oh man, they're just whooped for Jesus. They're just whooped. Jesus got a hold of them and they're just loving Him. Thank you, Father. And if there's an area in our life, Lord, where, where we're hesitant in Your love and we're hesitant to trust You, I pray that through Your Word this week, You would minister. Lord, that we would trust Your love, we would trust Your goodness and then step out in faith and obedience in response to who You are. There is no risk from your point of view. And you call us to walk by faith and not by sight. And we're reminded again through this time of communion that you really do love us. Because Jesus really did come to earth. And Jesus really was crucified. And Jesus really was buried. And Jesus really did rise from the dead. And we've seen in Romans 6 just the profound implications for us in 2016 of those truths. So this morning we take communion in remembrance of you, Jesus, but even more so. Challenged by what are we living for? What is compelling us? And maybe as we sit with the cups, it'll be a a moment of of just quiet time with you. That the love of Christ would overwhelm our hearts. And we would just yield. Maybe just yield. Maybe for the first time. Maybe you're here and you've never yielded to the love of God. Never put your faith in Jesus. Do that this morning. Maybe you say, okay, you got me, Jesus. I'm whooped. I'm yours. Thank you for loving me and I love you. And I trust you with my life. So we take this time of communion now. In your name. Amen. I had a good friend. <clears throat> kind of had a rough upbringing. Kind of got hardened over the years. And I'll never forget uh, what he shared with me about his testimony and his walk with Jesus. He said, you know, when I came to know the Lord and got to know the Lord and grew in my relationship. You know what he says? He goes, here's a crazy thing. I got my emotions back. <laughs> and it was true because this dude would cry at anything. <laughs> he would just start to leak. <laughs> but you know what? It was so freeing. It was so freeing. And he got to the place where he wasn't even embarrassed about it. He wasn't ashamed because he realized he had become so hardened by the things of life. And as he grew in his love relationship with Jesus and as he began to relax and trust in the love of God and the goodness of God for him, he got his emotions back. And as a man, and this was a man's man, he would just, whenever he was touching his heart, he would just leak. <laughs> and, and it was so good because he knew it was, a, it was an act of God that had given him the soft heart. You know, he took the, the heart of stone and turned it into a heart of flesh. And, and so in this transformation process, I just want to encourage you. He's going to work on you in all kinds of different ways. And, and in this room, it, there are going to be many people who, who over the next, I believe, days and weeks and maybe even years will start to really believe God loves you. And you're going to rest. And you're going to trust. And that deep knot in your stomach is going to go away. And you might start to leak. <laughs> Enjoy. And you might soften. 
because it's not you against the world anymore. It's you and your Father. It's you and Jesus in this incredible love relationship. And you trust Him. And you walk by faith. And you'll leak. Amen? Amen. Amen.